0: The following podcast is a production of The Network. Check us out on BICBP-radio.com.
1: Lady Love. Lady Love. Obviously, this is not Lady Love. But this week, because Lady Love is on vacation, I have my other half and cat daddy. Woo-woo. Devin (laughs) sitting in. I'm Devin. So, I guess... This week is going to be a little different and I don't know. Guess you can work with us. But um I'm Courtney and I'm Devin. And this is Wine Wicked Crimes and Cat Moms Online. Oh Don't sound so excited. <laughs> I'm
2: sorry, I'm trying to get used to this. I'm not quite ready with the, the format and everything. Bear with me, guys. <laughs> we'll make it through together.
1: So, this week, since Dev is lady love, he's going to introduce our signature wine of the week.
2: I am. So, this week, we are going to be drinking The Peach Meow by Black Willow Winery. The um, Peach Meow is a, is a sweet peach wine with fresh-picked peach and floral aromas, sumptuous fruit flavor, and a smooth, refreshing finish. Um, it's actually, on the front of the bottle, we have like this weird little naked cat kind of thing without any hair. It's actually kind of cool. I'm reading here on the label, it's one of the, the winery's adorable little cats. His name's Gizmo. Um, yeah. I'm excited to try this.
1: And... As usual, this wine was made in New York.
2: Cheers to New York.
1: So, I decided to bring Sophia back this week. As you know, she loves to tell the story of what we are talking about today. So, here goes. Picjet, Aurora, Colorado, 2012. A young man buys a ticket to the biggest show of the summer. He spends hours dolling himself up for his big night. His makeover was like no other. No one would recognize him. He'd be the best dressed for sure. Everything was packed up and it was time to head out to the picture show. The Century 16 Theater was swarming with people. Everyone was packed in the place like sardines in a can. And those are not great on my acid reflux, by the way.
0: <laughs>
1: but anyway, people of all ages were in attendance. You could practically smell the proactive in the air. He finds his way to his chair, closest to the exit. It's almost showtime. He watches as seat after seat is taken. It's gonna be a full house. The lights dim, kitties huddle too close together, and crotchety nerds hush everybody around them. It's time. He gets up and heads out to his jalopy to get ready. His costume was going to be unforgettable. Dressed and fully equipped, he walks back to the theater exit door. Out of nowhere, two cans go flying. The moviegoers look confused. Is that smoke? Then, the last thing anyone expected to happen. Looking like something out of an episode of SWAT, a dark figure in a gas mask and bright orangey-red hair pulls out a gun. It was the young man. You would have thought Sonny Corleone was in the house the way it was raining bullets. All hell breaks loose. People are trying to run. Hide anything to get out of there alive. He shoots anyone he can. He needs to kill people. And then he's done. Mission accomplished. Now he waits. The coppers find him, just leaning on his car like nothing happened. I've got hemorrhoids with more emotion than him. The boys gotta take him in. They approach from all sides. They finally cuff him. All he says is, I'm the Joker.
2: Oh my goodness, what? What is happening here?
1: Dun dun dun. (laughs) So, do you know who we're talking about?
2: Um, I think I remember this. I don't exactly know when it was, but didn't some guy, like, go into a movie theater and, like, just shoot the place up on that Batman premiere or whatever?
1: Yes, that is exactly what we were talking about.
2: Oh man, this is gonna be good.
1: So, today we are talking about James Egan Holmes, who committed the Dark Knight movie massacre in Aurora, Colorado.
2: That's what it was. Yes. Okay.
1: So, James Egan Holmes was born on December 13th, 1987 in San Diego, California. He's a Sagittarius, and he was 24 at the time of the massacre. And I decided to call him Winnie Todd.
2: Winnie Todd. That's fantastic. 24 is a little young, I feel like, to go just on a rampage. Though I feel like it's normally like the old guys <laughs> that are going and shooting everybody.
1: want to say that it just generally depends on the situation because the dude that bombed uh oklahoma was definitely not that old either
2: oh the okc guy Mm -hmm. right yeah i guess you're right and then there was yeah okay i don't know i guess the most recent one in memory is the one in like the vegas i feel like that was like a middle-aged white guy that did it so 24 kind of took me off guard
1: yeah i guess but James was born in San Diego, but he was raised in Oak Hill, California, and then moved back to San Diego later. And Winnie Todd was born into a well-off and well-educated family. And via the internet, his family's net worth is about $25 million. Oh,
2: that's a big chunk of change.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. So it's not like he was struggling or anything.
2: Right, right. Spoiled rich kids. <laughs> Gotta ruin it for the rest of us. Oh. Hmm.
1: You find out later that there's a lot more than just him being a spoiled rich kid.
2: Just sit in and wait.
1: Cheers. Cheers. Okay. So that's sweet, but not too sweet. I like it.
2: You know, I'm not actually much of a wine person, but I I could definitely sit here and drink this rather happily. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good.
1: Well, his dad was named Robert Holmes. And he was a mathematician or scientist, and he worked as a financial fraud analyst with a degree from Stafford and UC Berkeley.
2: Very smart man. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And his mom, Arlene Holmes, was a registered nurse at a psychiatric hospital. Even better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they were definitely not struggling on yeah, No,
2: by no means.
1: Uh, and he has a younger sister named Chris Holmes.
2: So so it's him and his sister and Mm -hmm. the two parents. Yes. Okay.
1: So he was raised in Oak Hills, Catraville, California, until he was about 12. And then he moved to San Diego. Okay. Um, Growing up throughout middle school, he seemed like a normal kid. He took piano lessons, played soccer, basketball, video games, and he excelled at school. He was known as a prodigy. And in the fifth grade, when he'd finished his assignments, him and a classmate used to write code in their free time to build the school's website.
2: Who writes code in their free time? What what child is doing this?
1: Um, one with a scientist for a daddy, <laughs> I guess.
2: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough.
1: And his teacher from fifth grade actually called him a Renaissance child.
2: Ooh, the Renaissance child prodigy over here.
1: Yeah, but I always wonder, like, when people are too smart growing up and like they know they're too smart they're usually like crotchety assholes when they're older so it's,
2: it's got to get to your head at some point you know you're like you kind of create a little bit of a god complex maybe yeah i don't know i might i might be foreshadowing or just getting jumping to conclusions but that's got it that's got to get to you especially being off with money you know no consequences maybe a little bit as well
1: Yeah, I don't want to say that he didn't have consequences because they don't really get into like how his family treated him in general. They just kind of said that he had like a white picket fence life.
2: Sure, sure.
1: But I'm sure with parents that both do very hectic jobs, he probably wasn't um, as taken care of or like as shown attention as he should
2: have been. Yeah, yeah.
1: So for all intents and purposes, he seemed to have lived the perfect white picket fence life. There were family gatherings for every holiday, family outings to the beach, camping trips. Um, he even went to Disneyland.
2: <laughs> Can't be Disneyland. I still wish I could go.
1: same. say I'm I've never been to Disneyland.
2: Yeah. yeah. But one I, day.
1: I guess that's what happens when you pull. <laughs> um, but by middle school, his mental health was starting to decline, and he was withdrawing into himself and his video games. He was one of the top five players in the world of World of Warcraft.
2: Oh wow, that's yeah. actually really impressive.
1: Yeah, in fucking middle school.
2: That's, yeah, damn.
1: But I don't know, it just kind of amazes me that some people can turn into killers after like being just like shut-ins because I have plenty of friends that are shut-ins and play fucking Fortnite all day.
2: I don't want to sound like uh, like Karen right now but I feel like it's that classic case of, oh, the video games are causing violence kind of thing. Maybe. I, like I said, I don't know. It's just kind of interesting to see that the middle schooler that he was already a top five in a World of Warcraft isn't necessarily like a first person shooter kind of violent, but I feel like it's got some violence in it.
1: From what I remember of it, it's very, uh, very LARPy, like live action role playing, yeah. yeah, and. You were like a fucking elf or something like that, or some kind of a dark creature, and you would just kind of like group together with people to beat up monsters.
2: Okay, yeah, no, never mind. I'm gonna so, take back what I said. I think.
1: Yeah, I don't. I don't think the wow had anything to do with like his violence because you didn't beat other players; you beat like the game itself. Right.
2: Okay. Um, I never played.
1: <laughs> but Weenie says that at this time he was seeing things. He was terrified of these. Um, figments that he would see that he referred to as nail ghosts and they would knock on his walls and he would see flickers that fought and shot at each other
2: this is i mean that's that's kind of crazy sounds a little bit like schizophrenia to me honestly
1: it could be I don't think he ever really told his parents that he was having these issues. Yeah. So he was never actually, like, diagnosed with schizophrenia and from this, this is, point.
2: this is in middle school when he's yeah. seeing these ghost, nail ghosts? Yeah. That's got to be tough.
1: Yeah. I would think so.
2: You got to think, going going through that stage of your life, already kind of seeing, <laughs> seeing things on the wall, shooting at each other. Yeah. I don't know. That's got to be weird.
1: Well, the worse and more frequent his hallucinations were... The more he withdrew um his social st- skills completely deteriorated and by 11 years old he had attempted suicide for the first time
2: Whoa! wow wow yeah.
1: and the weird thing about that to me is that in an article that i had read his family said that they had no idea that he had like any mental health issues like after the incident of him killing all these people yeah, and he tried to fucking kill himself when he was 11. yeah
2: you would you would have to assume i mean it's Obviously, there's information out there already saying that he's already deteriorating into kind of a mental disorder. He's internalizing and just playing video games all day. I feel like that's some signs right there. I mean, I'm no expert or anything, but those are some signs that you can definitely pick up on. And trying to kill yourself at 11, I mean, that's some signs signs of a mental disorder.
1: Yeah, to a degree,
2: I suppose.
1: I mean, his mama should have fucking known that because she's a psych nurse.
2: Right. Right. She worked at the, you said a psych ward. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, he was known to float between depressed and painfully shy. Um, And when he moved to San Diego at the age of 12, the little social skills that he did have left had completely disappeared.
2: New place, new environment kind of shook him, put him into a tougher spot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, He ran track and played soccer in high school, but could never make any friends. And he would have these random outbursts during manic episodes. Okay. Uh, Weenie Todd says that he became obsessed with death and had a growing desire to kill people from this young age forward. That's healthy. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's how you do it. I want to kill people all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's how we all are, right?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) So... He also had a very dry sense of humor that tended to put people off. And like most kids, he loved comic book movies. Who doesn't? I mean, I have a pretty dry sense of humor. And I mean, I make fun of like the Holocaust and dead babies and stuff. So I can't really say much about that. Yeah. I would, yeah,
2: yeah. It, it puts me off sometimes. When, uh, when you make jokes, I'm like, what did you do? Oh, she's kidding. She's kidding. Don't worry, guys. It's just a joke.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um... By late high school, he was about 5'11 and described as a slim, unassuming white guy with wide eyes and a friendly smile and a deep voice.
2: So every other high school kid?
1: I mean, basically.
2: Kind of run-of-the-mill.
1: Mm-hmm. He wasn't adventure. anything like super noticeable. Right. Um, he didn't date at all and he only had a few friends that he played video games with.
2: So very, very isolated, no social life, Had no skills with the women, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, you'd have to talk to women to be able to have skills with them. <laughs> um, one oh, of his okay. few friends that he had growing up, Richie Du Duong, Duong, Dong, I'm gonna go with Dong.
2: <laughs> Richie Dong.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Richie Dong, uh, he went to middle school, high school, and college with Weenie Todd. Oh wow. And he testified at his trial and described him as a studious and goofy person who never got into trouble or tried to draw attention to himself.
2: So pretty much just a little bookworm, I guess, right? So.
1: Um, to an extent.
2: Okay. I mean I Yeah.
1: I mean, pretty much everybody describes him the same way as like quiet and a nerd.
2: Just a goof that plays video games and does his work? Yeah. Okay.
1: So, Richie also said in court, quote, he was never the type of person who would get mad. If he was frustrated, he would just cool off and leave.
2: Very logical.
1: Uh, Many people who knew him growing up had testified in court on his behalf about his, like, character and whatever. Um, And it was kind of a common consensus that he was a, quote, great boy, Quiet, awkward, but friendly and non-confrontational.
2: So pretty much everyone who ever knew this guy would have never guessed this was coming. Yeah. Okay.
1: But they also didn't know that he thought about death and was seeing fucking right. nail demons or whatever. Yeah.
2: But I mean, no warning signs realistically unless you're kind of actually peering into his life while searching for signs. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay.
1: Um, in 2006, Weenie Todd graduated from Westview High School in Rancho Penasquitos, California, with amazing grades. And that summer, he interned at the Salk Institute of Biological Sciences in San Diego.
2: That sounds like he's well on his way to a very good career. Following in his almost a little bit in his father's footsteps, you said his father was a scientist.
1: Yeah. That's kind of what he tried to do is follow in his uh, father's footsteps.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, one of his internship advisors said James was very uncommunicative and he rarely spoke and would only respond to yes or no questions.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Weenie failed miserably to bond with any of the other interns and was socially awkward and stubborn. Jeez. Yeah. So his like, his advisors in the internship noticed that he knew he was smart. So he didn't really care about any other person's opinion.
2: I yeah, kind of makes sense when you're when, when you're think that you're the smartest guy in the room. It doesn't nobody else matters, other than your opinion, I suppose.
1: Yeah, but that's not good.
2: No, absolutely not. But I, I, I yeah.
1: Um. So he presented a project that he was supposed to complete over the summer, but he never actually finished it. And didn't keep in touch with any of the people that he met in the program once it ended. Um, the project he was supposed to do is he was supposed to code something.
2: Okay. Something he, it. Just, he just didn't do it? or. Yeah, he just... Blew it off completely It was like, peace out, guys. I'm done with this.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh But when he wrote an essay about the program on a college application, he described the complete opposite of what actually happened,
2: Oh! and he
1: said he excelled in the program even though it was challenging, and he enjoyed presenting um, his completed project.
2: Okay, so he's a little bit of a bullshitter, too, then.
1: Yeah, he didn't actually complete anything. Right.
2: I mean, his his advisor said he utterly failed at having any form of communication or or something to that effect.
1: Yep. (laughs) So he went on to the University of California, Riverside in 2010, and he received his bachelor's degree in neuroscience with the highest honors.
2: Wow. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah, that's fairly impressive.
1: I mean, he's smart.
2: Yeah, he's a smart kid. Yeah. Sorry, I'll get over it.
1: So he was part of many honor societies, including Phi Beta Kappa and Golden Key. He was described as a quote very effective group leader and was in the top one percent of his class with a 3.949 GPA. But he skipped his graduation ceremony.
2: None, none of this adds up. So so in college he was a very effective group leader. In his summer internship before college, he didn't take anybody's opinion, only responded to yes or no questions. Like I feel like this guy is a little bit of a like a Chameleon almost just changes to the environment that he's in kind of when he needs to excel. He'll decide to excel Maybe
1: yeah, I think that he only works if it's deemed important So obviously his bachelor's degree was important. The internship over the summer was not
2: okay. Yeah
1: However, a social worker at a student health clinic noted his severe anxiety and Mm -hmm. Weenie Todd told her he thought about killing people But she didn't think he was a threat to himself or others
2: (laughs) Hello, red flags. What?
1: Yeah, well... (laughs) What? She said he'd only said it once, so, like, no big deal.
2: Oh, yeah, you know, say it once, you're good. You gotta say it at least five times for it to matter. No, people, like, this dude literally said, I feel like killing people. And she's like, nah, you're good. I don't believe you.
1: Yeah, pretty much. I mean... (laughs) I can't really talk shit because I I say I'm going to kill people all the time, but like not seriously. It's more, listen.
2: But you're not saying this to a social worker. Yeah, that's true. All right. Okay.
1: I think about killing people. Um, Shh. Don't say that. I know. And side note, in 2008, during one of his uh, summers in college, Weenie had worked at a residential summer camp as a counselor in Glendale, California, and he was in charge of 10 kids that ranged from the ages of 7 to 14 years old, and apparently things went great. He got no complaints, and the kids were all very well behaved.
2: I don't. I, I'm just bewildered by this guy. I don't I don't get it. Sometimes he can take responsibility, sometimes he can't. Like
1: I think that with a lot of people with social anxiety, it's generally social anxiety around their peers. So children are not the same. I'm sure he could probably connect more with a child than you could with an adult.
2: That's probably a fair argument.
1: Um, After he graduated in 2010, he decided to move back to San Diego and look for a job. Uh, He ended up not being able to find a job in his field, which was neuroscience. So he got a part-time job at a McDonald's in his area.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yo, can you imagine going to school? Yo. I got a degree in neuroscience nah dude you're flipping burgers at mcdonald's
1: i mean that shit fucking happens all the time look it at, does look at smile he's got a fucking md or nba yeah a
2: masters in business administration with um like international business
1: yeah he's got the nba in international business yeah and he's working at fucking raymore and flanagan and for those of you who don't know i work at raymore and flanagan and i fix furniture so, that's my life.
2: She's pretty freaking good at it, too, guys.
1: I'm decent. I'm decent. <laughs> um, and later that same year, he left McDonald's to work at a pill and capsule coating factory.
2: I don't know if that's an upgrade in the career path.
1: I want to say monetarily it's probably an upgrade, because... Uh, factories are generally just, like, warehouses, so they probably pay you a little more. Do you know how much people are making at McDonald's right now?
2: You know, $15, flip a burger. Yeah. That's a lot of money.
1: I know, but I'm saying, like, uh, medical factories usually pay a little more.
2: That's true. And
1: That's you don't true. have to go home smelling like fucking...
2: No fryer traps. Yeah. Grease traps. i
1: don't got to go home smelling like French fries and fake chicken nuggets. Mmm. My favorite. <laughs> So he was mostly low key and not social, but some workers said that he acted really strange in the factory's workstations. Strange,
2: uh, strange how?
1: Well, one co one worker says in particular, yeah. Uh, one co worker in particular remembers Weenie acting super out of the ordinary. He said he saw James just staring at a wall, standing completely still and smirking dash smiling creepily.
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> nope. <laughs>
1: So, he went up to Weenie Todd to see if he was alright, and I guess Weenie just turned his head and stared at the dude, saying absolutely nothing on some, like, Chucky Puppet Master type shit. Yeah, like,
2: I'm I'm picturing, like, an animal doll, but in real life.
1: Yeah, so he just, like, turned his head, smiled real creepy, and called it a day.
2: Yeah, this guy's got some problems.
1: I mean, to me, that reminds me of, like, that weird kid when you were growing up, like, the one that. Would like say fucking weird shit like they want to like chop up your body and yeah, that, rip that's... your skin off and whatever, you know. It's it's reminding me of that except it's translating into real life. Like those it's not, are not for kids shock that have factor. played
2: like too much Mortal Kombat growing up and they see like those terrible like death scenes of, like what, what is it the knockout or the whatever. Shit. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Um, <laughs> this this guy, you're you're an adult now. Like he can't be doing that.
1: Well, he's still doing it. So. Uh. But in February of 2011, Weenie was trying to do better, and he met with a co- recruiter to get into the University of Colorado's new neuroscience program. And it was created to bring together neuroscience and clinical research trials. Um, wow. And the program was affiliated with the Center of Neuroscience, and it was considered an elite program with over 150 scientists and clinicians working together on it.
2: Okay. How the. Um how the the recruiter feel about him?
1: Uh, the recruiter said that Weenie was cool as a cucumber during their meeting.
2: Cool as a cucumber? Is that a quote? <laughs> no, I'm just... That, that's what's me. Cool as a cucumber.
1: Uh, so he was cool as a cucumber during their meeting, and he said that he was very relaxed and casual and okay. s- seemed completely unfazed by the whole process, where most other candidates were, like, shitting themselves the yeah, entire time. Yeah, you'd,
2: you'd have to have some jitters going into that. Like, that's... And he's just sitting there like...
1: Yeah, he's just chilling, chilling, big okay. chilling. And this was supposed to be like this. If he got into this program, he would be working towards his PhD.
2: Yeah, no, like, yeah.
1: Well, this meeting was very important for anyone wanting to move forward with their education. Um, the prestigious program only allowed a handful of people in it. And out of the 60 people that were... Ele- uh, this meeting was very important for anyone wanting to move forward with their education the prestigious program only allowed a handful of people in it out of the 60 plus people that were eligible to apply. That's. So 60 people were able to apply for it, but only right. a handful could actually get into it.
2: Right. And I feel like only allowing 60 people to apply is already like narrowing down a lot, just like right off the rip already gone. Like, And he made it to that process already.
1: Well, I don't think that it was like a 60 people were only allowed to apply. I think only 60 plus people gotcha. did apply.
2: Okay, sorry. Now.
1: But either way, a handful were only right. able to get in. Right. Um, and as per usual, the recruiter said that Weenie was very detached and withdrawn and didn't socialize with any of the recruits.
2: Yeah. I mean, this this guy is clearly a sociopath.
1: Right. I don't think he's a sociopath because he has some feelings like it's not that he doesn't feel bad about things yeah
2: i mean he's just very out of touch yeah with i don't know maybe he might, he might like lack empathy towards other people or just doesn't know how to communicate
1: i don't think it's empathy i just think he can't connect with another person socially like if he doesn't sure. know you he's not going to branch out and make that you know
2: for his move to talk to you no social skills
1: no And I mean, I don't think I'm like a person that generally branches out to talk first too often.
2: No, you don't.
1: So I can't really talk shit about that.
2: Right. Right.
1: Uh, The only time he did interact with other recruits was during introductions. And all he did was make it even more weird. Uh, When he was introducing himself, he cracked a joke that was not a crowd pleaser, and it made everybody at the table uncomfortable.
2: I'm very suspensed right now. Uh, Hang in here.
1: Yeah, no, I wish they would have told me what the joke
2: was. Oh, come on,
1: you don't have it. No, I don't have the joke. (laughs) No, I wish I would have, because I feel like it's got to be something good, like a.
2: It's got to be a dead baby joke or something.
1: It's got to be something—a rape joke, a dead baby joke, a Holocaust joke, something. Yeah,
2: no, but like.
1: Maybe he said he wanted to kill people, and they thought it was a joke. I don't know.
2: But he was actually just telling people.
1: Yeah. My name's James. (laughs) I want to cut your head off.
2: Yeah. What's up? That's not funny.
1: (laughs) So, bad jokes aside, he was accepted into the program as a PhD candidate and started his schooling in the fall of that year,
2: 2011. So, he was accepted even though he's... a.
1: The fucking weirdo,
2: yeah. Yeah. He's a
1: smart fucking weirdo, though.
2: Is there, like, an IQ rating for this guy? Because he's clearly fooling everybody into thinking that he's a sane, law-abiding citizen.
1: But he hasn't actually done anything thus far to say that he's not a sane, law-abiding citizen.
2: Red flags popping up, though. Like Everyone that has ever met him has said that he's very antisocial, doesn't really relate to anybody.
1: My brother's antisocial and doesn't relate to anybody.
2: <laughs> this is true, and I don't think he's a. He's not fly. a serial killer. No. no. So he couldn't hurt a fly.
1: Exactly. That's my point.
2: Okay. All right. Touche.
1: So he received a grant. The one of the podcasts that I listened to said that it was about twenty thousand dollars.
2: That's a large chunk of change.
1: Yeah, um, and the grant was for his tuition. And then he also received a $5,000 stipend for his living expenses.
2: Yeah, his. Okay. So $25 million uh, parents can't help out with his college?
1: That's why I'm wondering if that's actually true or not. Because I feel like when I was going to school, they based my schooling off of, or what they were going to pay me off of, like, my parent.
2: Right. I so, mean, I, I never went to, to college.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering if it's different in the PhD program. Like, maybe they sure. don't. Sure.
2: yeah. I mean, post-grad stuff has got to be, I mean, that's got to be a little bit different.
1: I would think so. I never went to school for my PhD, so can't say. And plus, aren't you the one that said that you feel like parents shouldn't be obligated to pay for their kids' schooling?
2: I do. Um, I I think uh, further education should fall on the individual, but at the same time, the culture that we live in... Um, somebody with $25 million sitting at home from their parents I feel like their parents could probably afford to help out and that grant could go to somebody who doesn't necessarily have that cushion to fall back on
1: well, I guess, but that's if his parents are willing to give it to him. This is true. And it said their net worth with $25 million. Right. So that doesn't mean that they have They don't 20... have it
2: sitting around. Like, it's all tied up in their property. And I'm, I'm sure like timeshares and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. So yeah. you don't know exactly what's in their bank account. This is, yeah. Uh, so obviously he didn't have any friends, no social media, and he didn't attempt socializing at all. He kept himself and lived off campus, which isolated him even more.
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: People that did try to make friends with him only got a short, polite response and an occasional glimpse at his dry humor if he decided to have a conversation that made it past one sentence.
2: <laughs> if. Yes. They we're oh so lucky to have a one-sentence conversation with this man.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he's not coming up to you, so right. if you decided to talk to him and he wanted to respond... Who's going
2: out of their way to talk to this guy, though? I, I feel like he's kind of putting off that, like, pretentious douchebag vibe.
1: No, he didn't, he didn't come off as a pretentious douche. Everybody could just tell that he was socially awkward. Okay. It's like Alex. Yes. Yeah. So it's like Alex isn't a douche or pretentious. He's just not person to branch out and make friends right um he'd sometimes show his dry humor during class presentations but not everyone was a fan of the dark comedy so they thought he was strange but he seemed nice with a serious case of social anxiety okay
2: yeah
1: everyone around him could see that he was brilliant even though he'd daydream a lot and never wanted to be called on in class
2: so he's he's just this guy going about his life Super smart, doesn't really want to have any interaction, just chasing his PhD, and that's about it. He's not there to make friends. He's there to get an education.
1: Well, yeah, except he daydreamed all day in class,
2: but I mean, yeah, yeah.
1: His professors also said that he was extremely intelligent and well-versed in his field, and by his second semester, he was writing essays of the same caliber as published neuroscientists.
2: That's probably why he was daydreaming in class. Because he already knew it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. I can agree with that. All through most of my high school career, I want to say, I was more of like a homework type person. So I would like sleep in class and not pay attention. But I would just, you know, learn everything later. Um, While in this program, he met his first girlfriend ever. Ooh. A.K.A. his first love. Lucky lady. Her name was Gargi Datta.
2: Okay, well, well you're going to have to say that one again. Gargi Datta?
1: Yeah. G-A-R-G-I-D-A-T-T-A. Okay. She, I think she was Indian.
2: It, it sounds very um, Indian.
1: And she had a pretty decently thick accent in like one of the vi- videos that I watched of her. Okay. So I want to say that she probably was an immigrant.
2: She was or was not?
1: Probably was. Right.
2: I mean very possible, I mean my mother works at a university, she has a whole lot of like students that come over from India to go to school in America so I can, I mean possibly she might have been here on like a student visa or something too.
1: That's what I'm going to guess. I didn't really dive too deep into her background.
2: Sure.
1: Um, But they met in grad school in one of the classes that they shared together and some sources say that they had a biology class together but you know whatever. Gargi and Weenie dated for about four months officially. On the books. Yeah. And she said he was shy, awkward, and introverted, but when they were alone, he opened up and showed her his dry, funny side. (laughs) Um, Obviously, Gargi was the one who initiated their friendship when she asked him to join her study group.
2: Pulling out all the stops there.
1: Oh, yeah. You want to (laughs) join my study group?
2: I don't really know, I'm kind of, I live by myself, I kind of isolate myself, um, I guess, you're kind of (laughs) cool.
1: I'm picturing it kind of like in the community when, um, what's his name? I can't remember. Which one? The one douchey white guy that, um, hosts the Uh, soup.
2: Oh, what? Joel
1: McHale. Yes, yes. When, uh, Joel McHale is trying to bone, um, the blonde chick in the community. What was her name? It was something ridiculous.
2: We're really bad at the references right now, babe. Fuck
1: <laughs> I'm trying to remember what her name was. It I was don't something know. stupid. Eh, whatever. But it's kind of reminding me of that where he like joined the study group just to just, bone the girl. Yeah, just
2: to get in on it. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
1: Except he has he no other
2: work. in because clearly he doesn't know how to, so it's like, this is my shot. I'm taking it. Yeah. Gotcha.
1: So their <laughs> first date was in October 2011. They went to dinner and a horror movie film festival in Denver.
2: That's probably the worst first date I have ever heard of.
1: Why? I feel like some people like horror movies.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I guess. I don't know. I am not a horror movie person. Um, if somebody wanted to go on a date with me, obviously I'm the guy I'm supposed to make the date, but I would never... Be like the best first date I can think of going to a horror movie festival.
1: I mean, for people that are into horror movies, I think this would be an awesome date. I'm not into horror movies. But, I mean, dinner and a movie, generally.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Kind of basic. Pretty, I mean, pretty solid.
1: It's better than our first date. We just drunk-boned.
2: Hey, we're telling the world? Why not? Okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, they had your run-of-the-mill college fling... They were both pretty busy with their stressful classes and workload, but they talked and flirted a lot over G-Chat, and they would spend the night at each other's apartments at least twice a week.
2: Ooh.
1: Um, he was even cute and brought her a Slurpee while she was studying one night.
2: <laughs> okay, okay.
1: What? You don't ever make that 7-Eleven swing through to get a Slurpee for somebody?
2: Hey, I this guy's got more game than I do. <laughs>
1: So you never brought me a Slurpee.
2: I did not. I gotta get on that.
1: (laughs) So they got closer, but James felt a lot more for Gargi than she did for him. Uh, She saw their relationship as something more of, like, fun and casual.
2: Right, and he's clearly, this is his first time ever with a girlfriend. He's in his PhD program, like, it's now or never, guys, kind of thing. Like, he's attaching.
1: Yeah, and... His first girlfriend,
2: obviously. going full boil.
1: Yeah, exactly. Full boil. Full boil for sure. Okay. Just like... Yo! (laughs) You're not going to stick up for your bestie.
2: I got nothing right now. I'm sorry. I'm not... Congratulations. Go, guys. Seriously. Congratulations.
1: So, she said that besides his anxiety in social settings, he was always very calm and friendly. And he was never aggressive or angry and didn't seem like he could even hurt a fly. Okay. Um, He told her about some of the demons that he was dealing with, i.e. wanting to kill people.
2: Right. Yeah.
1: And she suggested therapy. He had agreed and was seeing a psychiatrist who put him on Zoloft.
2: Good for her for actually pushing him to do the right thing. Um, So, yeah. I mean, things are looking up, it looks like.
1: Well, he started seeing his psychiatrist in March of 2012. Okay. Her name was Lynn Fenton, and she was the University of Colorado's campus clinic head. Right. Okay. And Gargi said at his trial, quote, He never had highs and lows of emotion ever. He was pretty calm for the most part and friendly if people interacted with him.
2: So just flatline emotions, his whole... Time that he was with her, yeah, okay, four months with a well, he was on a log kind of guy.
1: He was different with her than he was with, yeah, other people.
2: I, I get that, but like, still not having any emotions and just being a flat line.
1: I mean, you don't really show your emotions,
2: that's true. And we're going on two years, exactly. <laughs> All right.
1: And fun fact, when Gargi had testified in court, she never looked at James at all, and the entire time she referred to him as the defendant.
2: Wow. Yeah, so she was toy. Some uh, animosity over there. Very much so. Wow. Good for you, Gargi.
1: Well, things between them were fine, and they spent at least two nights a week with each other. Right. And they talked regularly. Once the semester ended, Gargi went out of town for the holidays. And when she got back, James was happy and, you know, talking about buying a house in Denver to wow. be closer to her. And Gargi, on the other hand, was not as excited.
2: Yeah, she was in it for a fling, right? Yeah. When she,
1: <laughs> when she got back, she didn't really feel any emotionally closer to him than she had when she left. Oh, boy. And, you know, she was kind of debating on breaking it off because his feelings were seeming uh, much more intense than hers were.
2: Yeah, seriously he's over here trying to buy a house in Denver. Yeah. Wow.
1: Well, that February, a little after Valentine's Day, Gargi decided to end the relationship, title-wise.
2: Shit.
1: She said that he seemed shocked and disappointed by the news, but didn't say much. I
2: mean, you gotta see this coming, though. Like, she, she probably was trying to persuade him not to buy a house and everything. Like, there's gotta be some signs coming, like... I don't really say. I don't know. I'm Obviously... The, not gonna say everything but i'm just speculating here like he's very bad at picking up cues and socially so it's like I get, I get it
1: it could be i mean they both seemed like they were pretty open and honest with each other so i feel like i don't know she may have said something to him but at the same time me knowing how women are she might have been trying to spare his feelings and like right. play it off for a little bit right We'll never know. So, James, however, was actually very hurt by this. Um, he had told his parents that he was in love with her and told them all about their, like, Valentine's Day dinner because he had cooked her, you know, food and they watched movies and played games together. And he felt very close to her.
2: This guy's in love. And yeah. She just... Nah, dude.
1: Yeah, she just, like, shoot it on him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... We've all been there though. Hey, I've if been shitting on It's not gonna
2: happen. Like, if it's not gonna work, it's not gonna work. End it. Like, I get it. Yeah.
1: Well, a week after their breakup, Weenie and Gargi decided that the only logical thing to do in this situation was to be friends with benefits, because that always works out.
2: Clearly, the only logical thing right here. Yeah. yeah. I know you're still in love with me, but you're pretty good in, in the sack, so y'all wanna fuck.
1: I mean, I guess it's easier you know, that way. I don't know.
2: <laughs> never works out, guys. It never works out.
1: Well, obviously, being friends benefits right after a breakup meant everything between them was basically the same.
2: Yeah, nothing. Nothing's gonna change.
1: Yeah. So they had still talked often, and on March twenty fifth, two thousand twelve, Weenie Todd had told her that he wanted to do evil things and kill people. Oh God. She apparently thought he was being philosophical.
2: Okay. Whoa. No. Nobody's being philosophical and being like, "I want to do evil things and kill people." That's not. That's that's full crazy.
1: Yeah. Well, that's what she thought. It was I'm actually trying to find. Um, I had saved their conversation. Oh. Yeah, because it was on the internet.
2: <laughs> For the whole world to see.
1: Yeah. Exactly. Uh, oh, there it is. So if you would like to read this.
2: Yeah. So we have a conversation from Dr. Sherlock B at gmail, and it looks like Gargi. Yeah. So, well, actually it's D Sherlock, but um, D Sherlock. Well, what I feel like doing is evil, so can't do that. Gargi. What do you feel like doing? D Sherlock. Video games are the next best things through escapism. Gargi, what is so evil that you want to do? D. Sherlock, kill people of course. That is why I live in the future. Gargi, killing people is too much effort. You'll end up locked up. Most people are not worth what might happen to you because of the act. D. Sherlock, that's why you kill many people. Gargi, even then, at least personally I'm selfish, and have too much of an idea of self-importance, most people aren't worth jack shit. Even if you go postal, what's it worth? What do you gain? D. Sherlock, there's no way to do it and not get caught, but the only way justice can be served is by taking away your time or life. Gargi, why do you care so much about justice? D. Sherlock, if you wait to kill until the end of your life, then there's nothing to lose. Gargi, but why would you want to kill? As in, why would you decide this is the end and kill? When you could live more, experience more things, why would those people be worth ending your life? D. Sherlock, it's the end then, though. No more experiences. Gargi, why? How do you decide that is the end? And that's it. That's the end of the conversation.
1: Yeah, so this is pretty much the point when she tells him that he should probably get some therapy.
2: Yeah, like this guy is going... He's off the rails.
1: Yeah, and she thought he was being fucking philosophical.
2: There's no way... Like that's... That's scary. Like this guy... Like she said, he's about to go full postal. Yeah. Like,
1: well, he tells people many times throughout the years that he wants to kill people. His and whole no one, life. Yeah, and no one takes him seriously was definitely leading up to you know everything that did happen right um so not too long after this conversation in april 2012 they completely decided to stop their relationship because james couldn't just be friends and she did not have the same intense emotions that he did
2: he was stalking her and like wouldn't leave her alone i'm guessing
1: no no that's not no no not at all okay um he actually is the one that told her oh he couldn't be like just friends with her
2: Okay. I mean, he's he's his heart's in it. Hers isn't. Yeah. She's just using him for his, for his body, and he wants more.
1: Yeah. No, exactly. Okay. And um, he tells her that he can't be friends with her anymore after his first therapy session, I believe.
2: So the psychiatrist probably told him. Yeah, most likely. Okay.
1: Um, and he kind of hit the point where he realized he couldn't be friends with her because they were at a bar together, and he called Gargi his girlfriend at the bar, and she, like, curved the shit out of that. Yeah. She's <laughs> like, yeah. She's nah, like,
2: fam. <laughs> not in my house.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Nah. I'm not your girlfriend. Yeah. And so that hurt him. This breakup is believed to be one of the contributing factors to his psychotic break.
2: Right. Right. Timeline-wise, when did the massacre happen again? I'm sorry. I have
1: uh...
2: I feel like we're getting pretty close to the day of the shooting
1: it's in the summer of 2012 so i think it's in like june
2: coming up into spring right now a couple months yeah we're getting there
1: yeah i think no actually it was in july
2: okay the massacre was in july
1: so even though he was a brilliant student his academic performance was starting to decline during this time also
2: okay
1: and obviously heartbroken the breakup threw him into a violent depression yeah Weenie tried to talk to another girl he knew from school, texting her awkward, like, flirty things. He texted her, quote, why are you distracting me with those shorts? Whoa. Oh, no, she didn't! (laughs) Oh! Oh, no, this heifer didn't!
2: This dude.
1: Yeah, and he even asked her to go on a hike with him.
2: That's how you get girls. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Why are you distracting me with them shorts? Bitch. (laughs) Them shorts right there. <laughs> you get those from the gap. <laughs> the baby gap. Because your cheeks gap. is falling out. Um.
0: <laughs>
1: so he asked her to go on a hike with him. But when they met in person, he'd actually completely ignore her. And uh-huh. the silence was very awkward.
2: Yeah. So he's he's uh, able to text and talk a big game. And then it's like, ha, uh, hey, uh, yeah,
1: mm. yeah, pretty much. Like you he didn't, you? he just. It was just weird. Yeah. And fun fact Weenie actually lived in the hood.
2: Whoa, whoa, what?
1: Yeah, so his apartment was in like the hoodish area of Denver. Okay. And he would ride his BMX bike to and from school every day. He was apparently a creature of habit and ate breakfast at the same Mexican food truck every day and would regularly get dinner from Subway.
2: I feel like I'm the same way. Like, I'd get the same thing for breakfast every day. I'd have a routine and everything. Like, I, I feel like.
1: And You have no emotions I think we're We're coming up on oh, some uh, man Some similarity here, right?
2: <laughs> I'm not smart though I'm not in a PhD program So I think we're good here
1: <laughs> uh, He would apparently also Go to a Latin club Every night And sit at a table In the back And just people watch While drinking a couple beers He never said A word to anyone
2: Good for you bro Creeper vibes To the max And you are In grad school
1: You'd always have that one, like, super weird foreign dude at Marcella's or something that would try to, like, hit on all the girls not realizing that they're lesbians.
2: (laughs) But this guy is not foreign.
1: I know. And he's white. Well, he's white and he's weird and not talking to anybody and just staring at people
2: while drinking beers. While drinking beers.
1: I mean, why not? Whatever floats your boat, I guess.
2: How did he not get kicked out for being a creep?
1: Cause he's drinking beers. What do you mean?
2: Just staring at people, not talking to anybody. I don't know. As long I'll as get he doesn't weird vibes from that. If I saw him day after day after day doing that, I don't know.
1: Yeah, but I mean, as long as he's not touching anyone or talking to anyone, they can't really do anything. Like, yeah. hey, you. I know you're spending your money here, but stop fucking staring at people.
2: Yeah, okay. This is true.
1: And I mean, he was probably there just to watch some cheeks since he couldn't get any cheeks.
2: Why are you distracting me with them shorts?
1: Yeah, exactly. I gotcha. So, Weenie started seeing his psychiatrist, Dr. Lynn Fenton, on March 21st, 2012. They met a total of seven times before he stopped going, and it was collectively about four hours in duration.
2: That's not a lot. No, not at all. Okay.
1: He stopped going for treatment in June 2012 after he failed an important oral exam and did terrible on a comprehensive exam. Oh, boy. And decided to drop out of the Ph.D. program without any explanation. Their last session was on June 11th, 2012.
2: That's okay. We're, We're getting there. I mean, with the messages that we read and now he's just dropping out of his dream, very prestigious program that he's in, like... I messed up once, I'm done. That's not normal.
1: Well, from podcasts that I listened to, especially like the Lights Out podcast, I believe it was, um, they said that part of the reason he even did this massacre was because he failed in neuroscience. Like he wanted to make a name for himself in another way. Right. Which was to kill a bunch of people in a Batman movie.
2: That's not a great way to make a name for yourself.
1: I mean, yeah, but... There's a whole bunch of stuff on him via the internet.
2: Yeah. But, I mean, to live in infamy is not... That's not a good way to go down.
1: I guess. But, I mean,
2: Hitler. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you got a point. I don't know many people who uh, really actually like Hitler, though.
1: No, but he's known forever and ever and ever. Yeah. He initially called for help with his social anxiety for the psychiatrist. Right. And when he told the social worker that he had homicidal thoughts, that's when Meanie was linked up with Fenton.
2: Okay. Yeah.
1: Because she was the head of the
2: the clinic. Yeah. The head honcho. She's the one that's best equipped to deal with this. Yeah. Okay.
1: So Dr. Lynn Fenton said that she was immediately worried about James. He told her that he had homicidal thoughts at least three to four times a day. Oh, wow. And that his self-diagnosed symptoms of OCD were the worst that they had ever been in his life. And he felt that he had dysphoric mania.
2: I don't know what that is.
1: So dysphoric mania is basically where you're like having the highs and lows of a bipolar disorder. Okay. But you're depressed. So he was having these manic episodes while being very depressed.
2: Right. Okay. Not a good uh, formula.
1: No, but that was his self-diagnosis. That's not actually right. what she diagnosed him with.
2: I mean, he's got, he also has to have... I mean, this guy is incredibly intelligent. His mother was a psychiatrist nurse, right? Uh, or something... A perhaps? psychiatric nurse. Psychiatric nurse, sorry. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's got to have some experience. And he's been dealing with it his whole life. Like, he has to have a little bit of an understanding of his own mental state, too.
1: The problem with him was that because he was so smart... He wouldn't accept the things that she said to him. Right. About his mental health. Right. So he was convinced that these are the things that he had, even though he's not a mental health professional. Right. So, yes, he was a smart guy and he was self-diagnosing. I self-diagnose myself all the time.
2: You're for the things. worst.
1: <laughs> yeah, but guess what? I'm fucking right. Like, but we had scabies.
2: Oh, my goodness.
1: Was I not right?
2: Hey, you you were right. And, um, yeah. <laughs> Is that what you wanted to hear?
1: No, but I was right. <laughs> but anyways, him like self-diagnosing himself, he didn't want to hear anything other than this is what he had kind of thing.
2: Right. He was like, give me what I want to hear or whatever else you tell me, I'm not listening to it. Yeah. Because you're wrong and I'm smarter than you.
1: Exactly. And because she was a woman, he also didn't really Ooh. take her all that seriously. Yeah. Um. So she said that the whole time he was speaking to her, he was eerily still. And she had written in her nose, frozen nervousness.
2: Okay. Just a statue.
1: Yeah. Didn't move, just sat and stared.
2: on top. Creepy. Talked. Yeah. Weird. I mean, he was standing at the the pill factory and just... Staring at a wall? Staring at a wall.
1: I bet he was talking to his little, like, nail demons. The or, nail
2: ghosts. Yeah. Yes.
1: Or he was watching his flickers beat the shit out of each other. <laughs>
2: Kind of imagine that's a great entertainment a little bit for him at that point
1: to me it just sounds like one of the fast and the furious movies yeah that's
2: what i'm saying like a movie playing on the wall yeah only you can see
1: exactly so when talking to her about his life he told her about when he got glasses as a kid and how they made him want to quote overcome his biology oh he brought up overcoming his biology when it came to his social anxiety also
2: What what does he mean by overcome his biology?
1: Well, his solution to these problems would be to eliminate the problem, i.e. homicide. Okay. But he followed it with, quote, but you can't kill everyone, so it's not an effective solution.
2: This guy.
1: So she thought that he was just dismissing the idea of homicide as a possible solution. So she didn't see him as an imminent threat and just set up more appointments for him. Right.
2: And I'm sure there has to be people all of the time coming in. And no, not everybody is going to be like this. But you, you can't take everything everybody says to an extreme, you know, because they're psychiatric. They're going in for the like counseling and everything. I and mean, people aren't necessarily thinking straight all the time. I don't know.
1: Well, she had five one-on-one sessions with Weenie Todd. Weenie
2: Todd.
1: And the last two that she had, um, she asked a male psychiatrist to sit in because she thought that he'd be more cooperative with a man. He didn't seem to respect her intelligence and acted like he knew more than she
2: did. This guy's got a little bit of a complex. A little bit? Just, Just a little one.
1: Just a tad bit of a Napoleon complex. Um... Many times he'd say things to her that she didn't understand, and when she'd ask him to clarify, he'd rarely tell her what he meant. Hmm. He once referred to everyone in the world as "sheeple,"
0: <laughs>
1: and expressed his hatred for mankind. And when she asked him to elaborate, he
2: didn't. So, okay.
1: I'm going to say "sheeple" meant that he thought everybody was like sheep.
2: Yeah, people are sheep. They follow blindly. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. Exactly.
1: Once she accidentally wrote his name as James Hughes on a prescription, and he emailed her about it with an emoji, and she didn't know what it meant or what it was supposed to signify, so after some prying, he finally told her that he was punching her in the eye.
2: What the hell? <laughs> what?
1: Which I think is kind of fucking funny. <laughs> like, can you imagine sending an email to a psychiatrist and yeah. being like... Sending an emoji. And it's like a very, like, mom thing to do. Like, what does this mean? What are you talking about? What are you saying to me?
2: I would have to ask for clarification as well. I do not know how to speak emoji.
1: <laughs> well, in emoji language, he duffed this bitch. So, by their last session on June 11, 2012, she was scared. James had started acting super paranoid and accused her of keeping a suspicious package behind her chair. Um... He said that he was reading the writings of the unibobber and the Tylenol Killer. Oh, boy. He had failed his exams and was dropping out of school.
2: He's, he's reading manifestos. Yes. Like, oh, boy.
1: And he didn't seem to care at all about the fact that he was dropping out. And when she offered to keep treating him, he said, nah, and cut their session short and just it left. He just dipped. Yeah, he didn't say goodbye to her, no handshake, nothing. Just like, he was like, nah, I'm out. Peace. Yeah. So she wrote in her notes, quote, he may be shifting insidiously into a, a frank psychotic disorder like schizophrenia. Yeah. As soon as he left, she called the campus behavioral evaluation and threat assessment team and a campus police officer.
2: Saying, hey, watch out for him kind of thing. like Yeah. Okay. Are they tailing him or?
1: No, they didn't do anything.
2: Just, okay. Yeah. That's kind of counterintuitive like
1: well they did a background check on him and because he didn't have any like violence in his past they didn't do anything all they did was deactivate his um his card so that he couldn't get back on campus
2: this is the head of the clinic and she's saying hey this guy needs to be watched and they're like yeah we'll make sure he's not getting back on campus but like you're not gonna go out to like the authorities like real cops nothing
1: Yep. Nope. That's that's it. Wow. Dr. Fenton thought that he was going to go home because he had told her that he had money and could rely on his parents for financial support when he left college. Right. And she had actually broken HIPAA law and called his mom, Arlene, to tell her that she was worried about what he may do. Okay. She didn't tell exactly what he said to her. Yeah,
2: but gray area. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And Arlene kind of brushed it off seemingly and she said james had been struggling with social phobias for a long time however lynn didn't tell arlene you know that her son had homicidal thoughts and ideas so she just thought he was like being fucking weird
2: right that's like that's really sad honestly like this guy's been dealing with this stuff his whole life and nobody's really ever taken him seriously His Mom kind of brushed it off when this doctor calls her and says, hey, I'm worried about your son. Like, my heart goes out to this guy a little bit.
1: Yeah, you can feel kind of bad.
2: I mean, he did go and kill a bunch of people, so you can't feel too bad, but, like.
1: Yeah. No, outside of that, it is kind of sad. And I feel like he's just a person that is not able to handle his emotions because Mm -hmm. he doesn't know how to have emotions. So unfortunately, without any specific threat and no violent background or tendencies, there was nothing that she could do. She thought if she took him for a 72-hour psych hold, it would just add fuel to the fire. So she backed off.
2: Okay. I mean, I guess there is no right or wrong answer. Yeah. You know, it's like, what are you going to do?
1: Well, she tried to call his mom and that was it. Yeah. All the campus police did was deactivate his school ID so he couldn't get back on campus. Right. And little did anyone know, he'd actually already had a plan and was buying guns and ammo. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah.
2: That stuff's tracked, though, especially in California.
1: Yeah, well, he was buying all of his guns legally. Like, he had a license and stuff to have them.
2: Yeah. Yeah. California is just so difficult to buy firearms and everything, though, like...
1: Oh, maybe not at this time. 2012?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's nine years ago. hmm I don't necessarily know how it was back then, so...
1: Well, he had actually bought his first gun on May twenty second, 2012, which was the day after he went to his first therapy session. Oh, wow. He bought a Glock twenty two caliber pistol at the Gander Mountain shop in Aurora. Okay. And a week later, he bought a Remington 870 Express tactical gun and a different Denver gun shop.
2: So he's he's doing it smart. He's going to different shops. He's not drawing attention to himself. Getting pretty common guns, too. So it's not really...
1: Well, he actually did kind of draw attention to himself because everybody that he bought guns from kind of said that he made a point to make himself be memorable.
2: Oh. So, like, the way he was
1: talking or whatever, like, he was just very weird. Okay. Um, In June, a few hours after failing his exam, he bought a Smith & Weston MP-15 rifle. And four months before the massacre, he bought 3,000 rounds of ammo for his pistol, 3,000 rounds of ammo for his rifle, and 350 shotgun shells.
2: Three... Thousand rounds yes. for a pistol. Three thousand rounds for a rifle. and How much for the shotgun? Three hundred and fifty. Dude, he's going on a rampage. I mean, he did, but like, yeah, that's nobody goes and buys three thousand rounds for a pistol. Like that's that's a lot. I don't know anything about guns. Like that, that is an absurd amount of handgun ammunition to buy at one time.
1: Yeah. Well, he did it.
2: He, well, clearly. and Yeah.
1: So, fun fact, um, there's this guy named Dave Aragon. He's also known as Diggity Dave from... Diggity
2: P- Dave.
1: <laughs> <laughs> known as Diggity Dave from Pimp My Ride.
2: Oh, that guy.
1: Yeah. So, he made a Batman parody porn ish thing whatever
2: was he the star or was he the producer he
1: was the producer okay um and it was called the suffocator of sins
2: the suffocator of sins yeah
1: so diggity dave claims that james had called him at least two times in may and june saying that he had watched the trailer at least a hundred times and wanted to know everything about it and how the people were killed, etc.
2: Oh my god. Yeah,
1: so in this movie, the idea is that Batman gets killed and then someone finds Batman's body and takes the suit and starts like killing people as Batman.
2: And this is a porno.
1: Well, it said parody porn, so I'm going to guess that it's a parody, but there was like sex scenes in it.
2: Okay, this...
1: I tried to watch the...
2: He's, he's, he's getting his... Wait. Oh? You tried watching this?
1: No, I tried to watch the trailer for it. <laughs> but they don't show the whole thing.
2: Right, right. But So he's getting his idea based off of a, a pornographic parody of Batman.
1: Well, no. He was just obsessed with it, and he wanted to know like how Batman was killing people, and like how many people the Batman had killed in this movie, and stuff like that.
2: Really bizarre, weird questioning. Yeah. Okay.
1: Especially to like call someone who's making a movie.
2: Yo, diggity Dave.
1: Yeah. Diggity, diggity Dave. (laughs) How how many people did Batman kill? Did he do it with that dip?
2: You gonna take it? You gonna take that dip? you going to take that dick huh? <laughs> <laughs> Watch it a hundred times <laughs> so
1: in July 2012 we're getting closer
2: Ooh.
1: Uh, he bought an assault vest and knife online
2: very solid purchases
1: yeah so it wasn't a, a bulletproof vest it was right
2: a, you, you know your little molly vest kind of where you have like straps and everything so you could put pouches and everything onto it.
1: Yeah. it From the looks of it, it had like... It looked like padding, but it wasn't. I don't yeah. know what it was. And a few weeks before the incident, he even tried to join a gun club. Ooh. But he had never showed up for the mandatory orientations and never answered or called anyone back. Because you're supposed to like go there for, to, right. for an orientation to yeah. get... Um, And the owner of the gun club had called James to try to get in contact with him. And the voicemail message that he heard was so disturbing that he had told his employees to notify him if James did try to show up there.
2: He set his voicemail to something disturbing?
1: Yeah, I guess the voicemail was like super crazy and didn't make any sense. And the gun shop owner was worried that James would try to hurt someone. So what? he wasn't allowed entry to the club under any circumstances.
2: Well, good good for this guy, first guy to actually stand up and be like, "Fuck this dude, he ain't getting in here." Yeah. Like okay.
1: So on July seventh, twenty twelve, Weenie Todd bought three tickets online to the midnight premiere of The Dark Knight Rises at the Century Sixteen Movie Theater in Aurora, Colorado. And on July twentieth, early in the day. Weenie had mailed a notebook to his psychiatrist, Dr. Fenton. Oh, boy. And a stack of burnt $20 bills. What? Yeah. He had also decided to make a bunch of bombs, and they actually looked like, um, have you ever seen the bombs in Mario? Yeah. Yeah, they looked like that. (laughs) Okay. And he booby-trapped the shit out of his apartment. Oh, God. He then proceeded to pack up all of his guns and ammo, a gas mask, his riot gear, or whatever the fuck you want to call it, and somehow had time to also bleach and dye his hair a fiery reddy-orange. Yeah, okay. Bleaching your hair takes a while, especially because he had dark hair. Like, it wasn't dark as mine. That's
2: probably why it didn't come out blonde.
1: No, he bleached his hair and then he dyed it the
2: red. So, I have darker hair. I've had my hair bleached before on a whim and it comes out fire like it's red
1: no the red that he put on it though was not
2: fire engine like red red
1: yeah it was like a reddish kind of like that orange color that i had done
2: yeah okay it was like that okay
1: um after he was all packed up he left to go to the theater he'd actually called a crisis hotline on the way there hoping to be talked out of the crazy thing that he was gonna do but the call only lasted nine seconds before it dropped and he didn't call back
2: damn yeah is one last shot.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Dropped. Yeah. And I'm guessing like the way he's seen it is well, I tried and it didn't yeah, go through. Uh, so. The
2: universe is aligned, like it's telling me to do it. Yeah. Like he's he's in it right now. Like he has full blown broken. Like anything that happens is going to be
1: Yeah, exactly. You know? So theaters seven, eight, and nine were playing the Batman. Um, but Theater seven had started a little bit after twelve because of like the way that they were running right, them
2: little staggered show times. Yeah. Okay.
1: So eight and nine they both did the midnight premiere on right. the dot, and then theater seven, it was a little after. Okay. So he got to the theater between eleven and midnight on a surveillance camera that I had watched. Mm-hmm. It said that he got there at twelve oh three.
2: Okay. Or they so show
1: him going through the turnstile at 12:03.
2: Conflicting time frames around midnight.
1: Yeah, somewhere between 11 and midnight.
2: Okay.
1: Um there were hundreds of people seeing this movie.
2: Oh yeah, that was it was a big movie.
1: And he was sent to theater 9. And it said that there were over 400 people there. Some said 421, some said 417. But either way there's over 400 That's people in one theater. People. Yeah. Um, he walked all of the way to the right side of the theater and propped open the fire exit door with a tablecloth holder, like an outdoor tablecloth holder. Okay. It was so small that the door looked like it was closed, right. even though it wasn't. Right. And some sources say that when he had done this, he had actually like went outside and then came back in. I think he just went in. The and Cameras
2: went, don't show it? No. Okay.
1: Um, so he sat in the front row closest to the exit. And only 18 minutes into the movie, he got up and went outside to his car. That was parked right outside of the fire exit. Okay. He put on all of his gear, gas masks, helmet, vest. He even had gear for his legs. And he readied his arsenal of weapons. Then he put on headphones blasting EDM techno music (laughs) to the max. And he walked back into the propped open door leading into the theater. So... Between 12.30 and 12.37 in, in the morning, mm-hmm. he opened the door and tossed two tear gas bombs into the theater. People that saw him thought that it was just a costume. Right. Uh, because he was wearing gear that was similar to Bane's character in the movie.
2: Oh, okay. Okay. And yeah, He did wear little, that vest and the mask and everything. Okay. Yeah, right. exactly.
1: And other people... That saw the smoke, they thought that this was like some kind of live action role play deal for the premiere. And as a whole, no one really thought that he was actually a threat. And even after he started shooting, people thought that it was like part of the show.
2: Wow. Yeah. So. <laughs> no.
1: Before anyone could actually process what was happening, um, before anyone could actually prop it. A- Before anyone could actually process what was happening... Who keeps calling me? Before anyone could actually process what was happening and who they were seeing, he started to shoot. First, up at the ceiling, and then indiscriminately at the crowd. Um, He started with his shotgun, and then he switched to his semi-automatic weapon. And one man standing got shot in the eye.
2: Holy shit.
1: He lived, but he can't function or eat on his own and he cannot speak he actually had to testify in court by blowing into tubes to answer the questions wow yeah so he got shot in the fucking head or shot in the eye and like half his brain was gone pretty much Yeah.
2: god damn
1: so he initially started shooting at people in the back of the theater and when the people started running down the stairs is when he changed his aim to the stairs right um, he didn't know dick all about guns, and after yeah. about 65 shots out of his 100-round mag, it jammed up. Okay. He had tried to fix it, so he, like, popped it out and pushed it back in. But tap it... rack bang. What?
2: It, t- jam clearing. I don't know what that means. Tap rack bang. You tap it, you know, you hit it, rack it back again, and shoot.
1: Well, whatever he did didn't work. Okay. So he dropped it. Um. And since he couldn't get it fixed, he switched to his twenty-two. His Glock. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he started walking up and down the aisles shooting at people. He had fired about five shots with the Glock. And some people had dropped to the ground trying not to get hit. Other people yeah. were running. Like, it was all pretty much just chaos.
2: I can imagine so. 420-ish people getting shot at. It's got a fish in a barrel. Like gotta be mayhem in there
1: yeah people were stepping on people trying to yeah, get out of there
2: no shit god damn uh, I, could, I could not imagine
1: the fire alarm went off because of the smoke right and everyone just started to run like from all the theaters oh
2: yeah yeah yeah
1: and during all of the chaos 12 people were killed
2: that's really not as many people as you would expect
1: Only 12 people were killed. That's not how many people he shot. Right. Okay. So, 12 people were killed, and 10 of them had died on the scene. Two of them died at the hospital. Damn. The youngest person that he had killed, the two youngest people, actually, I will say, were part of the same family.
2: Oh, no. Um,
1: He had killed a little six year old girl, and her mother was shot, but she was eight months pregnant.
2: Fuck this dude. Fuck this guy. Yeah. No, dude. Like, fuck you, man.
1: Well, he apparently had chosen the midnight uh, viewing because he didn't want to kill kids. He thought there would be no kids there.
2: You, you, you still shot a six-year-old and an eight-month pregnant woman. Yeah. Fuck you.
1: Well, the mother lived, but she had miscarried, obviously. So he had killed a six-year-old God. and, you know. um, And 70 people were injured. Goddamn. Of the 70 people that were injured... Three of them were actually in theater eight. The bullets had went through the went wall, through the wall right, and shot people in that theater. Yeah. And at the time of the attack, it had been the largest number of casualties in the U.S. in yeah. you know one sitting. Fifty-eight people were injured by gunfire. Other people were injured
2: just getting trampled by four hundred plus. Well, everyone now in the theater just trampling out of this place. Yeah, gotta be a stampede. I'm picturing Lion King when uh, when he's like falling down the side of the the canyon.
0: Simple. <laughs>
2: like that's it's gotta be crazy.
1: Yeah, that's pretty much what it was, and it sounds just about as sad too.
2: Yeah, worse.
1: Yeah, after his guns were empty, he was just done, and there's no like eyewitness accounts on what he did when he stopped attacking, but it's presumed that he just walked back outside and leaned up against his white Kia, waiting for the cops to come and get him. He was leaning over the car with both hands on it. What? When the cops had seen him, they actually thought that he was a cop because he was dressed in, like, the riot gear. Yeah, And they thought that he was injured or something. Okay. And altogether, he had fired 76 shots in the theater, six from the shotgun, 65 from the rifle, and five from the handgun.
2: That's really not that much considering he bought... 6,250
1: rounds. Yeah. Well, he didn't use all the the ammo for just clearly, the
2: gun. Clearly.
1: He used it for other things.
2: Oh, for the bombs he broke out. Okay. Yeah. Damn. He, he went and took apart all of the rounds.
1: Just... No, no, no. I'm, I'm not even there yet. You'll get there. He made
2: a little improvised like claymores, didn't he? Yeah. Damn, this dude's a fucking savage. You're yeah. right. Okay.
1: So the first calls to 911 were made at 1239 in the morning. And the cops arrived to the scene within 90 seconds. So he had apparently picked this theater because he thought that the cops would not arrive so quickly. Because I guess during certain times of the week, there's not as many cops like in the surrounding area. So
2: he did a little bit of research. He did, he did his homework. He was just wrong. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, some people were actually texting and tweeting about the attack rather than actually calling the police. But the this cops... like a
2: world star. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. We're like,
1: what the fuck? But that's the same thing. When I went to Buff State, they had um Bill Nye the science guy there or whatever <laughs> the fuck. And yeah. the dude, like, passed out or something.
2: Bill Nye passed out?
1: Yeah. So what? I don't think he was at Buff State, but it was during the time that I was at Buff yeah. State. He had went to do a... Um, a seminar for some people and he like passed out cased out whatever the case may be and people were just like fucking filming it and tweeting it they weren't actually like people
2: are animals
1: yeah they're fucking retarded
2: no decency anymore
1: no none at all i just i don't even understand that but whatever that's cool i'm sure if i hear gunshots the first thing i'm gonna do is fucking facebook about it assholes
2: if you're listening to this guys if anything happens like this don't pull out your phone to record Call nine one one. Be a good person.
1: Yeah, don't be a douche, fucking don't be millennials. A
2: douche. That's all we ask. Just don't be a douche.
1: So when they got into theater nine, the cops were pulling injured people out into the back parking lot. Right. Through the emergency exit door. But because of all the chaos in the parking lot from people trying to get out, the ambulances couldn't actually get through to them.
2: Oh, so man.
1: Sergeant Stephen Redfern? One of the first cops to arrive on the scene had to send victims to the nearest hospitals in squad cars. Okay. They ended up having to send uh, victims to six different hospitals. I
2: mean, that's a lot of victims. Like yeah. You said 78 casualties altogether? 70. 70?
1: Well, 12 dead, 70 <gasps> injured.
2: Okay. Okay. So 82.
1: Yeah. So... Around 12.45 in the morning, police officer Jason Oviatt arrested Weenie Todd. He saw who he thought was an injured police officer hunched over his car and went to check on him and quickly realized that he was the shooter. Right. Weenie did not try to resist at all when he was apprehended. He was described as being calm and disconnected during the arrest.
2: I mean, he's going to be like a break. So, like, he, he went he killed them all, you know, and he said that his time, whatever, it was done.
1: I know, but he still had, like, the wherewithal to put headphones in and play EDM music so you couldn't actually hear people screaming while you're shooting them. What a bitch. Yeah.
2: What a fucking bitch.
1: Oh, he's definitely a fag bag.
2: Fuck you, weenie Todd.
1: I know. And your fucking little weenie. (laughs) I'm sure he had a little weenie. Come on.
2: Little dick energy.
1: I know. He does. He's got little dick energy to the max. (laughs) So, two cops said that uh, Weenie had told them that he was the Joker when they asked him who he was. But later on, it was said that that was just a rumor started by the police, and Weenie denies ever saying it. So, we don't know if he actually did say that or not.
2: We'll go with it. We'll roll with it.
1: Yeah. But if he was, why the fuck would he dye his hair red? The Joker's hair is green.
2: Maybe he's colorblind.
1: I think he could read. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. So when they searched his car, they found another twenty-two caliber handgun and a fuck ton of animal. And when they searched his person, they found a first aid kit and spike strips.
2: Was he planning on getting in a car chase and throwing him out the window?
1: Yeah, kind of. He later admitted to having them in case he got shot or was being chased by the cops. Okay. Uh, during the shooting, Weenie said that he felt like he was on autopilot and just carrying out a mission as planned, no emotions at all. He could not understand the gravity of the situation, and he heard nothing other than the blaring techno music he was playing. On the podcast, those conspiracy guys they actually kind of throw out the idea that he may have been under some kind of like MK Ultra mind control, and that the music was his trigger.
2: Okay, I mean that's that's. It's a little out there for me, but... I mean, MK Ultra was a thing. No, like, it, it's... Yeah?
1: The other reason that they kind of throw this out there is that there's a couple... uh, Like, a handful of eyewitness accounts saying that he was working with another person. So, oh. Yeah, supposedly uh, that a uh, person in Theater 8 with, like, a goatee and a plaid shirt had done something too. But there's only, like, two or three accounts of this. Right. No one else says it. So...
2: I mean, that, there's a lot of people running around, a lot of different things being seen. Like yeah. But they all, like, the, the two or three other people described the same guy with the goatee? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So the plot thickens. Nothing ever happened with this guy, clearly, because he's a figment, potentially a figment of imagination.
1: Yeah, I want to say that most people's memories are not the way that they think that they are. Like, it's not like you can, you know, take snap a snap picture and you, right? you know, you record everything that you see. It's just kind of depending on the situation and those people are under a lot of stress. So I'm sure they're going to see things and,
2: you know, yeah.
1: So the cops interviewed over 200 witnesses on the scene and concluded that he did all of this on his own. But there are a few accounts that say that a guy in a plaid shirt with a goatee was working with him and those accounts were never confirmed. And they base like, in the conspiracy guys podcast, they kind of present the idea that maybe the goatee guy was like his handler.
2: Oh.
1: Yeah, so, like, he was just, he was the person that did it, but this person is the one that, like, you know, said the magic word to make him kill a bunch of people.
2: This is where it gets a little sketchy for me, though, and I kind of, I'm taking a step back. Just because he he has had this history already up until this point like there's been a bunch of things like the the shrink called his mom told him everything like that's not like mk ultra trigger kind of thing that's like that's that's a progression up into a point
1: no i agree i don't think that's actually true but they just kind of
2: present I mean, the it's idea it's cool to think about
1: yeah and fun fact when he was being taken away in the cop car he became completely transfixed by all the chaos that he had caused so when he was driving away... like he was getting
2: his rocks off.
1: He was just staring at it, like, completely wrapped up in it. Yeah. And after they had, you know, driven by all the craziness, he started sweating profusely and was very fidgety and smelled like B.O. So he had gotten, like, kind of yeah, stressed
2: the, out. Yeah, I mean, adrenaline finally kicked in and... Yeah.
1: So when he was initially arrested, he was jailed at the Arapaho... County Detention Center, under suicide watch, in solitary confinement, because he had suffered a psychotic episode and tried to kill himself by running headfirst into a wall.
2: Dude, that's fucking savage.
1: Yeah, that takes a lot, because I don't think <laughs> I could do that. No. Damn. Yeah, just like running, screaming. I'm So this, out,
2: ah! this dude's in solitary confinement with a fucked up head right now.
1: Yeah. That had to hurt. Yeah. Oh. But during Wee's interrogation, he was acting super weird and out of it. And his clothes were half on and half off. He didn't seem to have any recollection of what actually happened. And there are some sources that say uh, James was on Vicodin and his Zoloft during the massacre. So that could explain why he seemed so detached and out of it when right. they left the room. So when they had left the room, the cops had covered his hands with brown paper bags as to not contaminate any of the evidence. And he sat there pretending that they were, like, sock puppets.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah. So I actually have a video of this.
2: He's, like, in, in the interrogation room, like, talking with his hands with these little sock puppet yeah, exactly. paper bags on? Yeah. This guy is freaking nuts.
1: That is, in fact, what he is.
2: Damn. we
0: go already gave my name. Okay, hi. Well, I don't have to anybody who has your name. If you just tell us what your name is, it's James. James, okay. Holmes. James what? Holmes. Holmes. How oh, you spell that, please? Like Sherlock. Okay, so H O L M E S. Yes. Okay. okay, I'm gonna read this to you. If you have any questions, please feel free to ask. Okay. The science Victim
2: Services Unit, Children, something. Uh huh.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. What, what about that? There wasn't any children hurt. Uh, I don't know. We'll get to that. I, I I don't I don't know. Okay. So. Damn. You want to describe what he looks like?
2: Um. Yeah. He's he's kind of slouched back in his chair. His he's got a button up on, like. Kind of wearing it like a toga, almost like half over one side, and like, full chest out on the other. Um, Titties like tits out baby he's got this kind of nonchalant look going on like yeah whatever like very very bright orange hair he looks like he belongs in a drunk tank
1: yeah so they think that he was like on drugs oh and that's yeah. the photo of him playing sock puppets with the, the bags
2: that's beautiful and now he's shirtless completely in that picture
1: yeah so he was
2: was on something yeah yeah
1: which vicodin if i'm remembering correctly is the drug of choice of dr house
2: it absolutely is
1: and i don't really recall him acting like a fucking retard every time he was on it i thought vicodin was just like a painkiller he
2: was a major asshole
1: well yeah well this dude's clearly a major
2: asshole in a different way but yeah house didn't go shooting people
1: well, he obviously admits to being the shooter, and also tells the police that he had set up a bunch of bombs and booby traps in his apartment. He told the cops about his traps because he didn't want any kids to get hurt.
2: So, so he had a little bit of a conscience, but yet he still shot a kid in the theater.
1: Well, he he didn't see who he was shooting; he just Which shot.
2: Dark, right? Yeah, okay. but
1: that little girl was—I think she was shot like four times, and she was only six.
2: That's so sad.
1: Uh, the bombs that he created looked like bombs for Mario, and the bomb squad had went into his apartment early the next day after the shooting to disarm everything. Um, the number of explosives found would have blown up his building and several surrounding buildings. Holy if it had shit. gone off. There were 30 homemade grenades hooked up to a control panel in the kitchen. He had set up like a tripwire. So, yeah. all they needed to do was tug on the tripwire at the front door, and it would have created like a domino effect. And he had like napalm in cups and all this other shit, and like glycerin. And he had pickle jars filled with the bullets and a flammable liquid along with gunpowder. So, what would happen is the tripwire would go off. This would knock down this, which would cause oh, this yeah. to set fire. Like, he had the whole Chain thing ramps, set up.
2: Like, it's a moment of sanity thank god he told somebody about that like can you imagine if like his superintendent or like the detectives went into his house afterwards just to kind of investigate further yeah like god
1: he would have blew up like a whole city block yeah yeah
2: this guy is twisted
1: Well, a doctor at one of the six hospitals that the people were being taken to said that the victims of the shooting looked like a war scene, that there was massive tissue damage on the people, and many were shot in the head, neck, and chest, along with other places. The people that were critically injured were taken care of first, resuscitated if need be, and some had to be intubated. Several were so injured that they couldn't even tell people their names when asked.
2: Right. Shocked.
1: The first group had arrived at the hospital within 15 minutes, and those were the most critical. The second and third wave of people were also badly injured, but not in critical condition. Right, right. Uh, The day after his interrogation, the police discovered a 29-page notebook that he had mailed to his psychiatrist, Dr. Lynn Fenton. Mm -hmm. The pages revealed his obsession with death and murder, his plans for the shooting, along with drawings, and even his own breakdown of his, quote, broken mind. Um, I was going to go into detail about it, but mm-hmm. there's a video Even better, showing pages from the notebook.
0: The notes and drawings are often precise with symbols. Yet like this page, labeled Insights into the Mind of Madness, the killer seems to equate his self-worth with the deaths of others. He writes, Murderer value equal to dead. Equal may equal priceless. On another page he notes, why should life exist? What is the purpose of living? And then he lists elements of what he terms self-diagnosis of broken mind. Later, he rambles about unity and how unity should exist and then perseverates for seven pages, writing the word why in ever-increasing size. The question is evidently never answered. But as prosecutors charge, there seems to be a method to all this alleged madness as the murderer weighs different ways to kill. Bombs, biological warfare, and what form his killing should take. Mass murder, serial murder, and then the venue. Should it be an attack on an airport or a movie theater? And then there are the drawings of the Aurora Theater, individual screening areas that he scouted for exits, citing what he believes are the best target areas, and strategizing about his order of attack and how to kill defenseless people. That's not surprising that prosecutors say the contents of these notebooks, but this notebook provides yes. the killer planned It it proves that the killer planned these intimate details of the murders, and he knew exactly what he was doing at the time. Now, defense attorneys are claiming that his writings prove that while he did carry out these killings, he was clearly insane at the time. The jury has seen this notebook. It will have a copy of it to consider during its deliberations.
2: I don't even know where to begin with that. Like, that is... It's the ramblings of a madman, but also very well organized you know and like the the they were talking about like the why page like the seven pages of why like it's some of it made sense and some of it didn't like this guy i feel bad for him honestly like he, he i don't know
1: i feel like he it was just kind of a um, a melting pot of shit yeah because he's a very intelligent person so obviously he's going to map out things mathematically like he did right he was looking at this like some kind of mathematical equation But because he was so smart, he wasn't taking into account the outside opinions of other people that did try to help him. And obviously, four hours worth of psychiatry time in, you know, whatever span is not enough. No. Had he gotten help sooner, I feel like maybe things could have been different. Had, you know, his relationship with Gargi worked out, this may not have happened. Like, it was just a, a clusterfuck of shit that happened and created something terrible right so he chose a theater that the police wouldn't be able to respond too quickly and the midnight showing because he didn't want to hurt any kids he was only interested in killing adults and chose guns so that he could avoid hurting himself while killing as many people as possible
2: how selfish
1: yeah he had thought about like doing bombs and stuff like that but right he felt there would be more of a chance of him hurting himself using a bomb versus yeah. a gun Yeah. So, Weenie Todd made his first court appearance on July twenty third, 2012, and he didn't say anything and never looked up at the judge. A week later, he was charged with 24 counts of first-degree murder and 116 counts of attempted murder and two charges for the possession of serious weapons. Damn. So, they double-charged him. So, for each person that he killed, he was charged with two counts of first-degree murder. But on September 19th, 2012, the prosecution decided that that wasn't enough. So they filed a motion to add some more charges against Weenie Todd. And in March 2013, his lawyers offered for James to plead guilty in exchange for life without parole, but that would allow James to avoid the death penalty and that's,
2: that's what i was just about to ask california does have the death penalty
1: at this time they did okay i don't know if it still does yeah but the arapaho county da george brochler
2: sure we'll go with we'll that. go with it yeah
1: um he hit him with a not in my house <laughs>
2: yeah this dude deserves like yeah there's there's different opinions but
1: no he definitely deserves to be fucking shitted on yeah And he decided to move forward with the trial. He believed that James deserved a much more serious punishment for his crimes, his alleged crimes. (laughs)
0: Yeah.
1: Um, And he said, quote, it's my determination and my intention that in this case for James Egan Holmes, justice is death. Good for you. Yeah. So the DA was like shitting on him hard. Yeah. And fun fact, James has actually been in solitary confinement since he was attacked by another inmate. And his cell walls are covered with pictures of women who want to fuck him because he's a killer.
2: Nobody wants to fuck you, James.
1: No, there's women...
2: Oh, they're, like, they're actual, like, yeah, real p- I thought, like, they were, like, things that he drew or something. No. This like, like people actually want to fuck this dude? Yeah, like, murder fuckers. Dude, people are sick and twisted.
1: Yeah, they, they send him mail and they send him, like, pictures. I had seen it in one of the YouTube videos that I watched. Like What? Yeah, it's, like, some Baywatch scenes. Like, you got fucking Pam Anderson over here with her titties out type shit. Like, he's got a wall of just women that want to fuck him because he's a murderer. Um, but <laughs> he's been put in an undisclosed location, but regularly receives mail from the murder fuckers. And his family does not go see him.
2: Good. I um, don't think anybody should go see him.
1: His sister went to see him once in two years, like right before the trial, and she said that he looked crazy. Um, on May 31st, 2013, Winnie Todd changed his plea to not guilty by reason of insanity. He was interviewed by several psychiatrists, but none of them could actually agree on what his disorder actually was.
2: Interesting.
1: The only thing that they did agree on was that although he was suffering from a psychotic episode, he did know what he was doing and had planned it for four months for actually acting on it. Oh, yeah. So his insanity plea was not flying.
2: Right. Like, if it, if it was, like, a snap without any planning, it might have been different. Yeah, but like that dude had detailed draw, well, as detailed as you possibly can, drawings of the theater, like where exits were and everything. That's that's planned out. That is first degree in textbook definition.
1: Yeah. So he's believed to suffer from schizoaffective disorder, which I looked it up because I had no idea what the fuck that was. Please inform me. Schizoaffective disorder is basically both bipolar disorder and schizophrenia in one. And although he's nuttier than crunchy peanut butter, <laughs> he knows right from wrong. So he's legally competent to stand trial. Okay. His trial was supposed to start in October 2014, but his lawyers asked for a continuance. So it was delayed. And jury selection started in January 2015 and lasted about three months. They had 24 jurors, which is also double the normal yeah, amount.
2: Um, a lot of doubling going on.
1: Yeah. It, well, I mean, it is a really large, heinous crime. So I'm yeah. sure they had to.
2: I don't know. I mean, I, I feel like there's got to be like some reason that I've never, I've never heard of doubling the jurors on it. Like
1: I don't know, but they did. And finally, on April 27, 2015, the trial began. After an 11-week trial and 12 hours of deliberation on July 16, 2015, three years after the mass murder, James Egan Holmes, Weenie Todd was found guilty of 24 counts of first-degree murder and 140 counts of attempted murder and one count of possession or control of an explosive or incendiary device.
2: See, that's actually a lot more deliberation time than I would have had guessed.
1: I mean, there's 24 people,
2: though. Yeah, but, I mean, this is pretty clear-cut. Like, there's a whole lot of evidence saying that he did it. There's video cameras. There was a confession at the beginning. Like... Yeah. I don't know.
1: I, I mean, he is fucking
2: the insanity crazier than a everything, fucking... but it didn't fly. Like, I don't know.
1: Yeah. Well, no, they say he is insane. He's most definitely insane, but he but knows, he knows right, right from wrong.
2: wrong. Right.
1: Uh, James's parents claim that they had no idea that their son was mentally ill and never would have seen this coming, which I fi- I'm calling bullshit on that. Yeah. Like, that's bullshit.
2: You know, your kid's messed up. You just don't want to admit it. You're blind to it.
1: Blind to it, my fucking dickhole, he tried to kill himself at 11.
2: Blind to it as in you choose to ignore it, not actually blind to it.
1: Well, I think they take part in this because had they put him in therapy, maybe when he was 11, when he tried to kill himself, this could have not happened.
2: I I agree with you, but every individual is responsible for their own actions. So like, yes, they could have absolutely done more to help him along. But he ultimately is the only one to blame for it. Because no. he's the one that did it. He's the one that planned it.
1: He is definitely to blame. That's not what I'm saying. But I feel like Domino Effect, had they paid more attention to their kid when he tried to kill himself when sure. he was prepubescent. Yeah. didn't He didn't even have fucking hair on his balls yet and he tried to kill himself. Yeah. I feel like had they put him in therapy then, something could have been done. Maybe he could have worked out his issues. Maybe... Right. Maybe Find he a would better have been...
2: medication combo that actually worked for him. Something.
1: Yeah, no, and that's another thing. He was on Zoloft. Now, I've heard in a couple different cases that I've listened to, because I listen to true crime podcasts all the time, Right. that a lot of these people are on Zoloft, which kind of worries me <laughs> a little bit. Because, like, many people go on this drug. And, yeah, everybody has different side effects. Everybody has different right. reactions to this. But if there's a common theme of people fucking taking this drug and going postal... Yeah. I think that there should be something done. Some research looked into it.
2: That's a whole nother can of worms.
1: I guess. But weenie Todd Cuntbag was sentenced to 12 life sentences in prison without the possibility of parole in an additional 3,318 years.
2: Damn! 12 life sentences in 3,000 plus years 3318
1: yeah so he's never getting out of jail. but
2: there's there's no death penalty
1: no they couldn't agree on him not being crazy he's just in jail
2: for ever i wonder what's worse for him though like i feel like life in prison is probably worse than getting the death penalty though Because now he has to live in his delusions for the rest of his life.
1: Yeah, but he's probably also getting a lot of care and medication in prison that he wouldn't outside.
2: Yeah,
0: true.
1: And, I mean, his family doesn't visit him. Like, he does have to deal with a lot of things. And The only people that he was close to and did talk to haven't, you know, really reached out. Right. Right. I, I mean, I'm sure they probably talk to him, write letters, whatever, but they don't go to see him.
2: That's fair.
1: So... To end this, I kind of wanted to say the people that were murdered. The first I'll say is Veronica Moser-Sullivan, who is six years old, and her unborn sibling. They both died this night. And her mother, who was shot, she survived, but she's now a paraplegic. So not only did she lose her kid and her unborn child, but she can't fucking walk, and she's probably never going to be able to have a baby. This poor woman. Yeah. Um, Alexander Boyk was 18. Jessica... Gahi, 24. Jesse Childress, 29. Gordon Cowden, who is 51. And he actually died protecting his two teenage daughters that he had with him. Um, Michaela Medic, 23. Alex Sullivan, who was 27. And it was actually his birthday because he was celebrating. Right before everything happened, he had tweeted, like, Best birthday ever, Batman movie, woo!
2: Such a waste of life.
1: Yeah. Rebecca Wingo, was 31 and she was on a date with like someone that she had just started seeing. Yeah. The person that she was with said that he tried his hardest to protect her but she died. The last four, Jonathan Blunk, 26, John Larimer, 27, Matt McQuinn, 27, and Alex Tevis, 24. They all died protecting their girlfriends that they were with.
2: That's, I, I words cannot describe how, tragic that is like this guy I mean th- this mother that lost her six year old child and her unborn child and can no longer live a, a normal life like Guyana's birthday that passed like th- these four men on, on dates that died protecting their dates like nobody knew that day like can you imagine walking into this movie theater on on a date or out to a movie with your family and then some guy just coming in and blowing it up
1: that's fucked up. Like, I feel really bad for the dude that died protecting his daughters. Because I'm yeah. sure his daughters feel like shit to, like, have seen senior- They literally had to see their dad die. Like, that's fucked up.
2: It is. It is.
1: Well, yeah, this is a very morbid episode, guys. I'm sorry. But I had forgot that Lady Love was going on vacation. And I had said I would do a white-collar crime next. And I didn't.
2: This is not white-collar. No, not at all. Not at all.
1: Well, the episode that I'm recording with Lady Love next is white-collar, because I had promised her a white-collar episode. And initially, Chris, when he was supposed to record with us, but he ended up having some things happen, so he could not make it. Sorry, Chris. Um, I had done this episode for him because he's a big fan of like superheroes and comic book movies. And I figured why not give him nightmares next time he goes to the movies.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Instead, you give it to your boyfriend. Now I get to have nightmares.
1: Well, you got to deal with me anyway. So whatever. (laughs) Well, I guess we're just going to wrap this one up and, uh, I'll see you next week. So. Good (laughs) night. Bye.